So we're a multi-generational church, right? And we've got a fair amount of people with gray hair. If you're in your 70s or 80s, does the name Florence Chadwick ring a bell? Anybody know? Yeah, there's a couple nods. Awesome. Florence Chadwick was a, uh, a woman who became well-known in the 50s because um, she was, before this was a thing, she became a long-distance swimmer, like an extreme swimmer. And uh, this is something that even from a little girl when she was in swim team and racing against other people, she just, she wasn't interested in racing against somebody else. She'd much rather be out in the ocean just competing against herself. And uh, so she, she uh, started these long-distance swims at the age of 10, this is crazy. At the age of 10, she swung, swum across the, uh, the San Diego Bay. She's from a Southern California native. Can you imagine your 10-year-old, like, get out there and swim across the bay? Uh, but she, apparently she knew what she was doing and was really good at, at, uh, at long-distance long swimming. And um, she just became obsessed over the next several decades. And by 1950, she became the, the first woman that swam across the English Channel. Like, swam from France to England. Isn't that crazy? Uh, she came back again shortly after that, broke the record, the time record, and then she came back, uh, came back again and said, I'm going to swim both directions. So she swam both directions. And, um, and again, this is before uh, extreme sports was, was even a thing, so, uh, and there was no internet and there wasn't a whole lot of news to talk about. So she becomes really famous for being this extreme swimmer. And uh, in 1952, she became most famous because she decided that she wanted to swim, she's a Southern California native, she wanted to swim from Huntington Beach to Catalina Island. Have you heard this story before? Uh, she says, I want to be the first woman that swims from Huntington Beach to Catalina Island. It's 26 miles. So that's like a marathon. Can you imagine? Um, it's a marathon, but you're swimming in the ocean, and there's no stopping. Like, you go that direction until your, your feet hit sand. So, um, so, you know, she's a pro. She's swum the English Channel. She knows how to do this. She knows how to train. So, uh, so, so she goes through her process to get ready for, uh, for, for a long-distance swim. Um, the day comes for the swim. She gets in the water. It's a beautiful day. Starts swimming that direction. <laughs> and, uh, and everything's going great. About the 15th hour, imagine you're swimming for 15 hours, doing this for 15 hours. At the 15th hour, all of a sudden, this, uh, this beautiful day got really cloudy. This cloud just descended. And if you've ever been out in open ocean water when it's cloudy, when it's dark and stormy skies, the water that used to be beautiful and clear, it gets dark and it gets scary. And she could, all of a sudden, she, she, um, later when she recalled in her memoir, she said this, this um, just deep, dark feeling just began to consume me. It got into her head, got into her heart and her will to continue. She couldn't keep her mind off how cold she was. But the worst part of all, she said, is when she would look up, she couldn't see. It didn't, look, didn't feel like she was going anywhere because she's swimming, swimming, swimming. Nothing is changing around you. Things got dark, got cold. She lost sight of that goal of Catalina Island off there in the distance. She couldn't see it. So she pressed on for about an hour. Oh, I can do this. I can do this. After an hour, 16th hour, she tapped out. I can't do it. People couldn't believe that Florence Chadwick, the amazing Florence Chadwick, had to quit this swim. And she got into the boat and, you know, was feeling dejected. Man, I, I failed. And she recalled later, she said, to my horror... I realized that I had stopped a mile away from Catalina, Catalina Island. She was so close, but she couldn't see it. She couldn't see that her goal was not clear, and she, she just lost her will to continue. Well, she comes back a couple months later, 
trains again, I'm going to do this. But this time she said she had a plan. She had a, she had a strategy. She was going to keep in her mind's eye this image of her goal where she was heading. She was going to imagine the coast of Catalina Island as she had seen it before. And so she, uh, she gets in the water, swims, beautiful day. Once again, the fog sets in. She's like, I'm ready for this. Kept in her mind this image of her goal and her her feet finally hit sand and she emerged on Catalina Island. Isn't that an amazing story? Well, we are in the middle of this, this series that, um, it's a series we've done before, Digging In. We've done this with other books of the Bible before. Um, I think the last one we did was Acts or Romans or something like that. Well, we, we've been in a Digging In series for the book of Philippians, which is Paul's epistle to um, the church that was founded in this colony uh, of retired Roman soldiers, and like Ben said, uh, he's been unraveling this for a few weeks, they were just his favorite church. They did everything so well, and he just was so happy to interact with them, and he writes them uh, this epistle and, um, and just gives them props and, and, and encouragement, and so we, uh, we get to benefit from, from uh, his encouragement to them. But we've been doing the series Digging In and calling it Clarifying a Life Toward Christ clarifying what it means to have a life that is always moving toward. Thank you, Courtney, for setting up my sermon so well when she said, you know, we, like when we did our offering, we always want to be moving toward Christ because if we're, if we're stagnant, if we're not moving, then we, you know, you know how that goes. So, uh, so this is where we've been. This is where Pastor Ben has led the last three weeks. And in chapter one, he clarified that we, we have Christian partnership with one another but that there's, there's joy in that, and that, that, that uh, you know, we can thrive in that joy. In week two, chapter two, he clarified the unity that Jesus exemplified for us, um, that the humility that Jesus had, we get to live that out as the church, and, and that's our humility and our unity that's clarified there. And then in, at the beginning of chapter three last week, it's a great sermon. You guys should go back and watch it online. Um, ben clarified for us our foundation, and our foundation in all that we do is that we are made righteous through our faith in Christ. We're not made righteous by the things that we do, the attitudes that we have, but we're made righteous by the supernatural um, righteousness that we get from God, and we get it through faith, and that faith is our foundation. And today we're going to actually continue on with that theme a little bit as we clarify our goal. What's the goal? What's the goal to Christian living? That's something we probably don't think, for, think of very often. And just by asking that question, already my mind is thinking, well, duh. Like, our goal is to know, to know God, to love God. Um, uh, you know, if, depending on who we ask in our, in our country, people would say, well, you do that to get to heaven, right? Isn't that why you do it? Or they might say, you just don't want to go to hell. That's your goal. You don't want to go to hell. I mean, so depending on who we ask, what's the goal? Well, let's see what, uh, let's see what Paul says. So what you might want to do if you... Um, has anybody brought their Philippians scripture journal that you got? Look at that. You guys bringing that. You get extra, extra Jesus points today. Um, so we handed these out three weeks ago, and we didn't have enough to keep handing them out every week. So good job bringing your, your scripture journal. It's in the English Standard Version. If you don't have this uh, with you today, that's okay. You can use a pew Bible, which is in the NIV, the New International um, Version. And some of the words might be a little different. And today, that's actually going to work to our benefit, because I'm going to be somewhat irritating as a seminarian, seminary student, and we're going to do a word study with some of the Greek that, that I've been learning. And um, I was so happy. I told Ben, I was 
like, oh, I'm so glad that my Greek skills are actually going to be beneficial in this particular message as we get after the heart, not just the words that Paul said, getting after the, the heart and the, the meaning and the mm, you know, that he brings in some of that original text. So um, if you have an NIV uh, pew Bible that's on the, um, the top of page 1180, we're going to begin um, in chapter 3. And what we'll do first is we'll start at verse 7, because I, I couldn't figure out how to preach my text today without referencing what Ben led us in, in last week. So in just a moment, we'll begin uh, in verse 7. Um, but before we do that, I want to pray. Um, you know, a text is, we can't really understand what a Bible text means until we really get after what it was in intended for, for the people that it was originally written to, and we're going to do that, but uh, I want to pray and remember that this text today is for, it's for us, it's, it's for us, the church, right? So let's pray. Holy God, we, um, we thank you that we even have your word to study, and uh, we remember that there are people all over the world, all over the world even now that don't have um, your word in their hands to study, so we thank you for that, and we're asking you in faith that you will reveal us to uh, reveal yourself to us in this text today, and uh, we pray that in faith. And if that's your prayer, then say, I want that. I want that. All right, so, um, so we're going to read. We'll, uh, we'll jump in and we'll, we'll dive into the word. It's going to be kind of long, and it's, it's a me. I'm telling you right now, this is a meandering text, um, and we're going to get after that. So we'll start at verse 7. And Paul has, by the way, and Paul has just gotten through saying that, you know, we don't boast about our works. If anybody could boast, it would be me. I've got a whole lot of great works that I could have boasted about, but, but we're not going to do that. And in verse 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may, I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And that's where Ben stopped last week, and we'll continue on. This week we'll be in, in uh, verse 12, 13, and 14. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And that, my friends, is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, you know, when I get to, I was, as I've been studying this, I thought, when I get to heaven, I can't wait to meet Paul and be like, Paul, what was with all those like run-on sentences and oh, it's like I'm a linear person. I need could you have been a little more clear? 
And, um, you know, but I think that uh, we'll cut Paul a little bit of slack because, you know, he was, wrote this in Greek, and then a lot of these Greek manuscripts, most, uh, I think all the Greek manuscripts, didn't even have punctuation. And um, so something, something was lost there, but uh, as, we, as we dive in into, into it today, we'll try to get after what he's, what he's talking about. And in just a moment, we'll dip back in to that text that we read last week about our foundation being in our, in our faith. Um, but before we do that, I think it's really important to, to point out that what is Paul getting, getting after here when he's saying, I, I haven't, yet it, I haven't att- obtained this yet. I haven't gotten there yet. And I think what he's doing, and we actually sung about it in the song, uh, the song that we sang about the resurrection. I think that what Paul is doing is he's getting after this, uh, this idea that, we've, that we talk about, about the now and the not yet aspect of the resurrection. Back in, what was it, verse 11, um, you know, that he was talking about achieving the resurrection from the dead. And when we remember that when Paul wrote this, he was imprisoned, um, it's toward the end of his life, he has every expectation that he's most likely going to go to his death because he is a rebel who re- rebels against the, the Roman power that be um, by preaching another, preaching a gospel, preaching another king. And he's, he's saying, I can't wait until I go to my resurrection and I'll be bo- my bodily resurrection. And, uh, you know, the other song that we sang was that every knee will bow. At, at, well, at the end of the age, we will all be resurrected in bodily form. And so if that's the not yet aspect of resurrection, then what is, what's the now? What is the now? We also sung about bursting forward in resurrection power. And that resurrection that happened when Jesus was resurrected, that, that made the way for everything. That made the way for us to have new life, to have, uh, for him to ascend to the Father and send the Holy Spirit so that God could indwell in us. The, the resurrection was everything. And I think, looking at this whole context of a big passage that we just read, I, I propose that Paul is saying there's this now and not yet that my body is going to be resurrected and I fully expect that I'm going to go to my death for preaching the gospel, which he does. And there's also a now. There is a now goal. There's a goal that we have right now for our Christian life. So what is that? By the way, I love this image of the, uh, of the bud as a, as a resurrection now and not yet image, right? Because it's beautiful now. I mean, look at it. It's so perfect. It's like a little child. But it's not fully, it's not what it's going to be. Ultimately, it's going to become even more and more beautiful. And every day, it's going to be just a little bit different, a little bit, another version of beautiful. And that's, that's how we are in our resurrection life, in the, in the now and not yet of the resurrection. So what is the goal for now? And this is what I propose. If we look back at verse 8, Paul said, In order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, or for me, I have to translate like, you know, good works, being a good person, having the right ideas, etc. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And I think it's important enough that Paul sort of said it twice right there, right? The, uh, uh, that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. He's like, and just so you'd be, be clear, that righteousness is coming from God to us, and it happens through, it happens through faith. So I, this is how my mind works. I get all this confusing information. Sometimes when my wife and I talk, and she'll be talking to me, and she'll say, what do you think about that? And I'm like, 
There were a lot of words in what you just said. Can you go back and recap? I did that to Ben last week. Can you recap what you just said to me? So what I have to do is I have to translate that for myself. And so this is what I've done. What's our goal in living the now of the resurrection? I propose that Paul is saying this, that we may gain Christ, be found in him, because of the righteousness of God that comes through faith. And that faith is the foundation and the linchpin. It's what makes this life possible as we do that through faith. So uh, just go out and get faith. Sounds really easy, right? We'll come back to that in a moment. But got a note. Got a note. Oh, I'm backed up. Uh, he says, I haven't obtained it yet. I'm not perfect yet, but I press on to make it my own. I, pre- I press on. I try hard. And why? Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's a relational response. It's, a, it's actually it's a worship response. Why do I press on? Why do I try hard? Why do I grab hold of this? Because Jesus grabbed hold of me. And this is a, this is a relational thing. I'm going to strive after Jesus by chasing after my faith. So, okay, here's, our, here's, here's my slide that I accidentally clicked to a moment ago. So think about this. Let's engage our imagination a little bit. When is the last time that you thought about what faith is? What is faith? What is it? And not, not like the, you know, the answers that we, that we know and that, that we give and that are true. Like, well, faith is belief. And, um, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll kick back to things that I learned as an early Christian. Like, well, faith is believing in things unseen, things hoped for, but not yet fully realized. Which is totally true, right? Um, what is it? Is it trust? Is it a, is it a thought process? Is it a, is it a heart, gut, thought, spirit? Like, how does it work? What is the DNA of faith? That's, that's uh, the kind of thing that I just use my imagination to think about. And, you know, it's funny because Paul doesn't tell us a whole lot of uh, about what it is. And all throughout the New Testament, he says, you know, faith is everything. There's, um, you know, in Hebrews 11, he says that faith is the substance of our hope. I'm like, ooh, substance. We're getting closer to what I'm talking about. Like, it's a, what is it? He doesn't say what it is. Galatians 3, 2 Corinthians quote the Old Testament saying that the righteous will live by faith. It's like, all right, great. Well, so just, do I, what do I do? Do I just be, have faith? You know, you can't say this. Like, I wouldn't say to somebody who has an anxiety issue, just, just don't worry. Just don't worry. You know, have faith. So what, if we're supposed to have faith, how do we get it? How do we do that? In fact, this is really funny. I just learned this this, this week. Um, you know, faith, faith is, there's a mystery component to it. And I just learned that the current hot topic amongst New Testament Pauline scholars, so like these are experts on the letters of Paul, the current, like right now this week, the big argument has to do with, with faith and what is the substance of faith. And there's a big argument, and it, it goes back to a, a text from Romans 3 that um, in, in most of our Bibles it says, uh, it talks about the righteousness that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ, just like we talked about. But, it, but some of the manuscripts, some of the texts that we've collected over the, uh, from all over the world say that uh, the righteousness of God that comes through that comes through the faith of Jesus Christ. Whoa. That, that would be a game changer if that's what Paul meant. Is he saying that 
And again, it's different text. So the, you know, the big argument is, well, that's a scribal error, and there's this, and there's all these linguistic arguments. But I just thought it was really cool that the experts don't even know like, what the substance of faith is. And they can't, they can't agree on how it works. It's a mystery. So if it wasn't a mystery, if faith wasn't a mystery, like if Paul was like, all right, I'm going to teach this seminar on how to be a master of faith. And I'm going to explain to you how it works. I'm going to explain to you what it is. And by the end of, of our seminar, you're going to know exactly how to be a person of faith. But he doesn't do that. He just says to have faith. It's like, okay, great. Well, well how do we obtain faith then? How do we, if that's the linchpin so that I can have all those things that Paul talked about, then how do I get it? Well, the answer is we don't know. <laughs> well, we kind of don't know. But Paul says this. He says, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward for what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. He presses on, he makes a concerted effort in this. And uh, so I, so I brought, busted out my, my new Greek skills and, um, and, and looked at what Paul, you know, when he, all through this text there's words like uh, attaining this or um, what else? Uh, make it my, I make it my own. Uh, to, or our NIV says, I take hold of it myself. Um, so what, is, what was Paul getting after? Where there's all these, these words in Greek that actually when you, when you get into the Greek, there's a little more of a sense of urgency, I think, that then comes across in our text. He uses this verb elebon that, uh, for obtain, like grasping and taking hold of it. Um, Twice he used deoko that I, I press on, meaning I strive. Like, I don't just, I don't just do it. I mean, I, I strive to do it. Um, he uses katalabo, uh, uh, um, which meaning I, to take a hold of it or make it my own. Actually, it uh, says to attack or seize, to attack or seize, uh, to acquire something. So we've got all this really strong language um, later in verse 13. Um, I, I strain forward to what lies ahead, which is this big long word that I can't pronounce that says, I try hard to. I try hard to. Reminded me of when my daughter was really young. She'd say, it's hard for me. I try to. I was like, yeah, I try really hard uh, to get after it. So Paul's making it clear that we have to get after it. We have to make a concerted effort uh, if we're to make our faith our own. And so I was like, hmm. Do I try hard to be a person of faith? Do I make a concerted effort to do that? And I think there's, uh, in American evangelical Christianity, I think there's sort of like, maybe it's a byproduct of, you know, you just need to say yes to Jesus, and Jesus is going to love you, and he's going to give you what you need. And that's all true and everything, but do I, try, do I strive after, after making my faith my own? Well, um, I recently saw a documentary, actually, as I was studying for this particular sermon, um, I saw this documentary called Rocket Man, not to be confused with the Elton John Rocket Man blockbuster, but it's a story about this guy named Mike Hughes, Mad, in fact, his name is Mad Mike Hughes, and he is a limo driver, aka unemployed, he, and he is a, he's a, he's a limo, sometime limo driver, he's 63 years old, and he is a flat 
earther. Are you guys are familiar with the flat earth movement? So uh, I love how people just know what the thing is. So he's a flat earther. He believes that, I don't, he says, I don't care what science says. I don't care what conventional history says. The earth is flat and I'm going to prove it. I'm going to build a rocket in my backyard and I'm going to launch myself up so that I can see it with my own eyes. Like I will believe that it's round or that it, when it's flat when I see it. He strives to make his faith in this flat earth thing, his own. And so what he does is he, uh, he gets his two buddies and, um, and, and he, that he finds on the internet. They're, and they're not really his friend. One of the guys says, to be honest, I'm not really Mike's friend at all. I think he's gonna, I think he's gonna die. I think he's gonna kill himself. But I love rockets and so I wanted to help out. I'm like, <laughs> nice, nice buddy. And he keeps saying throughout the whole thing, he's like, hey Mike, just, just saying, I mean, it's your funeral. He kept saying that, it's your funeral, but uh, he says, when you climb into this rocket, it's a homemade steam rocket that he's going to launch himself. He says, when it's charged and has enough pressure to launch you into the sky, you are climbing into a bomb. So just remember that this is your funeral. And, and my, Mad Mike Hughes says, I don't care. I'm so deep into this. He's given all, I mean, he's put all his money into it. He goes to the scrapyard and is like, this looks like a good thing for a nose cone, or this looks like a good piece for a fin, right? He builds it out of scrap, and, uh, and he puts all his money in. He even uses his cat money, because they get after how he has five cats that he loves with a passion, like gets choked up about his cat. He's like, man, I'm even having to use my cat money for my rocket to get it, to get it going. And there's all these problems of... Um, it, they get it on the launch pad. He's made a launch pad out of a Winnebago. A launch pad out of a Winnebago uh, RV. And um, there's all these problems, and there's a false launch. They've got to delay the launch. And, and his body, because he's 63, he's, the work he's putting into this thing, the, the accidents that keep happening as they're you know, uh, making this rocket. But he says, I don't care. I want to see for myself. I want to see it with my own eyes. And at the beginning of this thing, you're like, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. God bless you. But by the end, you're, you're like actually rooting for the guy. Like, is he actually going to launch himself into space? And so in 2016, he launched himself into space. Well, not really. He launched himself 1,800 feet. And as it turns out, that wasn't even enough to see if the earth was flat. In fact, it was so short that by the time he got up there, pulled the chute, hit the ground at 60 miles per hour and almost died, didn't die. Um, he, uh, he had totally forgotten about what his goal was. Just like Florence Chadwick, like couldn't see the, goal, the actual goal, right? But he pressed on. He strove, took hold of, seized. He tried so hard to achieve his goal. And I'm like, there's something in there for us. Do I try that? Do I, do I go after my faith in Christ, which is the linchpin for how I live a bountiful life in Christ? Do I do that? Hmm. Tough question. In fact, let's ask a really awkward question. And for that, for that, I have an awkward photo to go along with it. Do we... Okay. What happens when we are equipped when we have all the knowledge that we need, um, what happens when we lose our motivation to say, I know what God wants. Like I've been in the church for three decades now. I know what God wants. I can teach the Sunday school lesson. I can answer with all the right questions. But 
do I really want what God wants for me and for God's kingdom? What happens when you lose that motivation? Is there a switch, a faith switch that we can just turn on? Paul doesn't say a whole lot about what you do when you lose your faith. And here's a guy who's like, he actually heard the voice of Jesus. He's not going to lose his faith. So he's like, just have faith. You know, I'm like, come on, Paul, it's not as easy for me. This is, it's been a long time. I, I have not heard the actual voice of God. I've not had a vision. What happens for me when I lose my faith? And I wanted to, um, if I could, um, tell kind of a personal story for me and, and, um, and just kind of go there. In 2014, true story, um, and I was on staff here. In 2014, I was, I was in the process of seeing a spiritual director, which is a, a, like a ministry conversation that you have with a, with a wise person who, who listens and hears from God. And it's a safe place where you can talk about things that you don't get to talk about, you know, in, in, uh, you just don't talk about it. You get to talk about the things you don't normally talk about. I'll put it that way. And in these conversations with my spiritual director, I remember the day that I actually had the realization and said with my mouth, if I'm being honest, I don't want the things for me that God wants. I want the things that I know I can't have. Whoa. That was kind of a scary thing to admit that. I want, I want something else. I, I want to want what God wants for me. I, I want that. But if I'm being really honest, what I really want is this thing over here. And I don't know how to change that. And I remember my spiritual director um, paused. We leave lots of room in our conversation for just kind of hmm, aha moments. He paused and he said, he asked me the question, well, what would you do to make your faith your own? What would you do? I'm like, okay, we'll say more about that. Well, you know, like, how hard would you be willing to try to, to make your faith your own? I said, well, you know, elaborate. He says, well, you know, throughout Christian history, people have done a number of different things, um, ideas that they came up with on their own to, to increase their faith. You know, the, uh, the ascetics, they withdrew from city life and went to live in the desert so they could really get that sense of God is my sustenance. Uh, people fasted. You know, God is, my, God is my true bread of life. God is my, my nutrition uh, they went on pilgrimages. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, different ways that people have tried hard to make their faith their own. And I was like, oh, I don't think I've ever done that. I don't think I've ever tried hard. You know, I've, I've uh, you know, when I was 20 years old, it was like, Lord, I'll do anything for you. I will go anywhere. I will give my life to the church. But by the time I was in my early 40s, it's like, yeah, I just don't have as much energy for that. Like Florence Chadwick, swimming. Things had gotten cold, darker. Things get foggy. Lost track of what that goal was. And I had to come to the point where I said, I just don't want what God wants. So I got after it. I, I, uh, I came up with a plan to do a Lenten fast. And I, and I wanted this to be a challenge. Like, I wanted it to be not just like I was going to give up, you know, I'm going to give up sugar. No, it was I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change my diet. I'm going to get after this. If God truly is my source of my source, if my faith, like it said in Hebrews 11, if my faith is the substance of, of, of life, then I want to get to where I really have to wrestle with that a little bit. So I fasted. Um, 
I had this, uh, my spiritual director had recommended this particular Lenten Bible reading plan where I got to go along every day on a journey with, with Jesus from his realization of who he was and what he'd been called to do to his, uh, his ministry and ultimately to, um, you know, to his death on the cross and then to his resurrection, this whole arc of the most epic story uh, of, of all. And in, I'll be darned, in, in 40 days, God transformed me in a way that I can't explain. So to God be the glory for that. Um, but I noticed that there was a whole different shift in me in my desire to want to be a partner, to want to have that joy in Christian partnership that Ben told us about in week one. Um, I went from being a reluctant participant in the church. Think about that phrase, a reluctant participant to wanting to be all in, where that not just choosing to be all in, but like my desire became to be all in. And that's, that was a God thing. And I wanted to, uh, to leave you really quick with um, just some of the things that the shift, if I could just give an example of some of the shifts that happened in me. For example, I, in my mind, I had to not, no longer think about living by faith, but living in faith. Not just having faith, because when I hear live by faith, it's like, come on, man, just have faith. Well, I'm never going to be able to do that. But live in faith. Climb inside of it. Like, get in there. Wear it. Like, ooh, I like that. That feels more substantial to me. So now I try to think of my life, faith life as living in faith. My prayer life, I went from talking at God, talking to God, to talking with God. And it became a conversation. I could keep going about that. Uh, the word, oh my gosh, you guys, I went from being a Bible reader, because I was already a regular daily Bible reader, but I was a Bible reader, and all of a sudden, I became to, uh, I got to where I, I began to understand that, no, when we receive God, the person of God in the Word, the capital W, Word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, uh, I can receive God when I receive the text and receive His heart for me. I began to realize that I have permission to waste time with God. Waste time with God. I'm a contemplative person, and I used to feel like that was me being lazy. I used to think that if I'm a contemplative person, I'm not doing the work. And I had this weird messed up reward program that I, I, if I did my work, if I worked hard, and if I did things really well, then I could rest, and I could rest with God. So messed up. It's not a reward. And I was encouraged that, no, move that to the front of the chain. Let, let that wasting time with Jesus time be the fountainhead of my ministry and watch what changes. And it just changed everything. Uh, I went from being a re reluctant participant to uh, rehearsing, with, uh, rehearsing being my own part of Christ's body for the way that God has uniquely formed me and crafted me. All my quirks, all the things that, that I think that surely I'm the only person like this, that God wants to use that. And then lastly, I realized that when I'm practicing my faith, getting in and practicing these things, I'm, I end up living faith. If I practice it, I live it. And the opposite is also true. The times that I'm not practicing my faith, I do not live as a faith person. I've, I for, in fact, I totally forget that I'm a faith person. I just go through life, and where's God in this? And I've, and I've, yeah. 
I've, I've recognized that when I really need God, it's really easy for me to call out to God. But the discipline of living in the mundane life when things get cold, when things get gray, that's when I also need to be a faith person. So when I practice my faith, I live the faith life. Well, we're going to respond to all of this in worship, and I'm going to call the worship team back out. Um, I want to thank uh, Benzie and Carly for choosing songs that worked so well with my message today. But we're going to respond in worship. And, um, you know, this whole chapter three, what Ben led us in last week, what we talked about today, the whole thing about this idea that faith is the, is the active ingredient that makes a life that's alive in Christ happen. It's essentially like saying, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And getting after to where we not, don't just understand that and don't just say that we want that, but where God can transform us in faith to where we want God's will to be done.